Alright. We're recording. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, what's going on, uh, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Macabre Masters. I am Pope. And um, I am hanging, of course, as always, with original Nick and Le Pimpstress, the Macabre Pimpstress, Beth. Uh, guys, um, tonight we're talking about Hellraiser. We're talking about Penhead. We're talking about sadomasochistic demons from hell. How does that make you feel inside? Does it make you feel dry? <laughs> it's not as bad when you do it as when Nick does it, but like dry. it, it does was it make almost you feel there. Dry. It's the guy. I don't know. Ah, don't do it. <laughs> do you feel dry? <laughs> that was hey, inappropriate. Ever talking to a woman, she says she feels dry. Just walk away, my man. Just walk straight or away. Don't. Uh, or don't. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> Just turn around. While you're down there, just say it. To quote Kid Rock, text, keep walking. See, I started this out with a Kid Rock quote, so there we go. So for everybody listening, you know, you can tell this is a special night for Macabre Masters. We're definitely on one tonight already. We're on that fuck shit. That's what's going on right now. We're on that fuck shit. It just happened. Oh, I, I, I'm having a monster despite the fact that I quit them. I just decided oh. that I wanted a monster. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a fucking monster. I can get one monster every like three weeks or something like that. I can control myself. Yeah. Don't judge, fuckers. <laughs> I mean, I drink a Pepsi a day. I don't judge. Uh Listen well, to us um, brand whoring out there. Monsters yeah. should give us a five-star Apple review. <laughs> and sponsor us. Yeah, uh, ooh, yes, please. I tried to quit, but I couldn't. Once you pop, you can't wait. <laughs> you can't, once okay. you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so, so Hellraiser. Uh, tonight, Hellraiser. Tonight we're going to talk about Hellraiser. And so... Uh, as a way of review for all of our homies out there who maybe ha aren't familiar with the Hellraiser franchise, there are a ton of movies. Um, there is a new movie that came out on Hulu around Halloween. There are two books. Well, there's actually three. There's The Hellbound Heart, The Toll, which is a middle book, and then The Scarlet Gospels. There's also an entire comic series. Um, and uh, what it circles around, all circles around, is the idea of these demons called the Cenobites. They're not exactly demons, but it's close enough for our definition here on Macabre Masters. We are not exactly scholars here. so I mean, they uh, refer to them as demons in all the movies. like, And they refer to themselves as demons, even. I've never heard of them refer to themselves as demons. However, that might be true. In the it was like angels to some, movie. demons to others, or so. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's why I never got to the fifth movie. I'm like, <laughs> all right. I had a really, <laughs> I had a Hellraiser day. Let me tell you. And um, so the main, uh, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things is the main really character of the franchise is Penhead, uh, better better known as Penhead, but also known as the Hell Priest. And um, it's interesting because Penhead was never supposed to be the main character um he was just basically a side character in the original book and but when they when they started filming the first movie like they just like knew they saw doug bradley in the makeup and they're like yeah this is this is gonna be our home slice so what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about hellraiser we're gonna talk about our impressions we're gonna talk about what movies we liked what movies we didn't uh we're gonna talk about some of the corny aspects of it because there are many um, a little bit of the history of it when it goes back to uh, sadomasochism 
and when it goes back to the kink scene, which uh, Hellraiser is super into. And we're going to talk a little bit about how it's a trailblazer in some ways, because that movie, people in the 80s or whatever were not used to like seeing like kink shit on that level. You know, because if you take out the blood and gore, I mean, what do you do? You're chaining people up by their nipples and shit. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a normal Tuesday in Sacramento. <laughs> like, they're like fucking. They're like they're all. They all got their fucking limit configurations trying to cop in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so uh, it's great. So the first thing I want to start with real quick is just uh, what your references are. So what you saw. Um, Beth kind of alluded to that a second ago with. Uh, her Hellraiser marathon she just did. Um, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, so I watched the first movie a few years ago for the very first time, and then I've seen the second and third one um, before I ever saw the first one, actually, like way back when with somebody at somebody's house randomly. Um, but today I watched, well, between yesterday and today, I watched three through seven, technically, because there was an eighth one in there that yeah i already said it was like cenobites at a rave and i felt like i could pass on that it just seemed like maybe i didn't need to go there after the very long day i had watching all the others um and then i've seen the new one multiple times because you know the kids are all into hellraiser and stuff like that and jason's into the lore and is really familiar with all of it so he we've watched it a couple of times together um and there was a whole like deep lore and story there that i had no idea about so first off um I went through and kind of wanted to read along with it. And I found out that uh, it's based um, like Clive Barker took a lot of his inspiration from time that he did as a person of the night, you know, instead of as a woman right. of the night, we'll say as a person. And I thought that was really interesting because I knew that it had like its kink bases, but I didn't really know that it came from his own personal experiences, which kind of changed the lens with how I saw how he saw you know, how I was interpreting what he saw and how it influenced uh, the movies and stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing is it actually goes back to 18th century France. Like, that's the whole storyline and how the limit configuration of the puzzle box was created and stuff like that. And so I thought that was really cool because I actually got to see the timeline of what got it all the way up to 2022 when the newest movie came out. And it's actually a pretty cohesive story. Like there was a couple of movies in there that were maybe a little bit, not so great, but otherwise like that was the thing I was most impressed with is through all of the movies, they tell a really good story. That's pretty complete. They bring Kirstie back later on, like in, in the later movies and stuff like that. Um, and, and I thought it was really interesting how they were able to connect it to a family and not just random people. Cause I never really realized that the further movies, that they actually kept with this storyline of this bloodline that was um, sought out. The box would seek them out, essentially, and stuff like that. Um, I think the funniest one is when they go into uh, Hellraiser 4, and this guy has figured out um, how to mechanically open the box in a sealed room on a spaceship. And it was very reminiscent of, like, Jason X. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Christ. Pinhead X, really? Is that I didn't get it's to the kinda, fourth movie? Yeah, that's kind of what it was movie, like. So. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like, and that's where you get all of the lore, like how the box was created and who created it, and like the very first, uh, you know, instance or, or uh, altercation that we have with the Cenobites and stuff like that. 
Something I'm actually really curious about is if the movie changed the lore. Because, of course, with the novels, it, it gives that backstory. And so you know about Lamar Shund and um, him being the mad toy maker and going crazy and making all the boxes and stuff. And then later on, uh, Doug Bradley finding them right after World War I. Um, and so uh, it's I'm, I'm curious about that. Interesting also, lore tidbit. I don't know if it was in the movies or not, because uh, once again, I did not get that far in the movies. But um, Christy Cotton eventually replaces Penhead as Penhead. And then she's so also later replaced by Harry uh, Diamore. So I don't know. It started falling off because it was around dinner time. So I was trying to watch and keep up. But I do know. I don't know if she became Pinhead, but I do believe she became one of the Cenobites. Whether she became Pinhead or not, I'm not sure. But I think so. Like I said, I was kind of in and out doing stuff. Yeah. Things like well, that. that you was know? In, that was in the comics. Basically in the comics, Pinhead, uh, he decides that he wants to be human again. And so he does like uh, basically a devil's deal with Leviathan and um, and ends up being human. And Kersey Cotton is selected to be his successor. And so that's actually one of the first times you ever see a female pinhead, which, of course, um, was very cool. And then that was in uh, it was in Hellraiser, the Dark Watch, the comic and the one before it. But then, um, of course, in the new one, it's a female Hellraiser as well, uh, actually a transgender Hell, uh, Pinhead, which is really interesting. I love the way they played with, uh, with their like with their sexuality and with their gender. It's feminine and yet masculine at the same time. It's done very, very well. Um, I agree. I think it's really cool that they were able to kind of play with that now in a way that they weren't able to over right. the when last twenty years, out. thirty years. Yeah. You know, because it was what nineteen eighty seven was the first Some movie. Some shit like that. Yeah. yeah. But it's um the other thing too is that in the book, the original book, uh, Pinhead was described as being incredibly feminine with an incredibly feminine voice with pearloid pins. Cause in the original movie they put nails in his head. And um but pearloid pins actually is book accurate to the canon. Uh, which in the new movie, of course, that's exactly what they did. Um, and it's something that as a longtime fan and a longtime Clark Barker fan, I really appreciate it. Nick, how far did you get in the movies? Um, well, since I started getting sick and then I was, uh, I just kept, I, I couldn't sleep. So all the only time I, the only time I had for was the first one and then the newest one. So I've got the bookends. Uh, so I don't know any of the stuff in the middle. Um, I don't have any of the fluff. I don't have any of the, the added on stuff. Normally I'm the lore guy, but I just got the first and I got the last. And then I've noticed a lot of references of Cenobites and Pinhead throughout pop culture. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, it's so recognizable. So that's my about all I got. My favorite's Bowling Pinhead. Yeah, from Billy and Mandy. Yeah, <laughs> from yeah. Billy and Mandy. <laughs> so can I ask you, Nick? Like, without having anything in the middle, what is your impression of the first to the last? Like, in the comparisons of the two. Uh, I really like the first one a lot. I think it's it's straight to it, honestly. Um, I mean, I like to say straight to it, but it was convoluted, the whole thing. Um, but I, I love the... It's more psychological. You know, there was a lot of body horror, of course, with uh, the Cenobites. But I think the, the, the deeper implications were um, the sexual assault of a minor uh, that was extremely hinted at. Then we have... Um, um, infidelity, uh, heavily, um, 
and then of course you have BDSM. So it's really, really heavy handed, really heavy stuff. Um, and then we get to the new one and I'm, I, I know you've watched it a bunch of times, but Sarah and I watched it together and I can't stand the newest one. I, I didn't like it at all. I, I thought we got a main character who's always yelling and isn't that likable. None of the characters were likable in the newest one. And that was the worst, except for pinhead. That was like my least favorite thing was that no one was likable where the first one you were like, yeah, I kind of hope this Kirsty girl gets it or, you know, gets a, uh, gets a one up. And I love pinhead, uh, in the first one. So I don't know. I just, I, I like the first one, how it all just takes place basically in one house. Then the newest one, you've got, you got them running all over the place, but I don't know. I just like, I love the first one. Like I, I'm all, I'm spiritually connected to the first one. Now I think it's, uh, I understand why it's a classic now. I love it. The um, actually the really interesting story behind the first one is that um, it was Clive Barker. He actually directed it. It was his directorial debut, 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 and I think his last movie he ever directed as well. And um, I could be wrong there though. And uh, what's interesting is one of the things that makes it what it is is the budgetary limitations. The studio would not give them a lot of money for it, and there's a lot of um, like really blatant mistakes on screen if you know where to look for example the engineer the big one that comes down and he's got the big fucking mouth and shit and he's a robot and he's rolling on the wheels and stuff and you can tell there's parts where you can actually see the aperture that he's attached to and if you know what you're looking for it completely breaks the illusion uh they had move they had mistakes like that all over the original um but in my belief it actually adds to the charm of it it's a it's a very um, focused movie. I mm. agree. It's incredibly focused. And the new one is um, what I really like about it is it actually bucked the trend of modern horror where like modern horror is like super like show the killer as soon as humanly mm. possible and fucking get people dying as soon as possible and get everything done because people don't have attention spans. I just rewatched it tonight. It takes a, a little over an hour in a two hour movie for you to even see penhead in any real way and then you're another 15 20 minutes in before you hear penhead speak for the mm, first time mm. in any real way and um i appreciate that i appreciate that because you know um we all know what penhead looks like penhead is a cultural icon so um bringing out this new penhead like the way they did was really 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 awesome mm -hmm. um and uh, I do, it does make me a little sad though, because they didn't tell Doug Bradley he was being replaced. Mm -hmm. And so he found out later and he was like ultra bummed about it. Um, and uh, I, I really appreciate the new pinhead. Like I appreciate mm -hmm. her. She did just killed the game on it. Um, but I do wish they would have handled Doug Bradley with a little bit more grace because he is a living legend. Um, and in the comics, if you go read the comics, which are well worth reading, all the depictions are him. You know what I mean? It's it's Doug Bradley, like in comic form. So they, I hope they paint him likeness on those comics. <laughs> no doubt, right? So I think you. it's interesting because, like, it both movies in a way were revolutionary for the content in that, like, it's some of the first body horror that we really saw, where people's fucking whole anatomy is being presented pretty accurately mind you which i personally have you know a thing for like it's not 
easy to really accurately, at least not then, have like this full bodysuit that was depicting a full anatomical like figure um, and still be movable. I'm sure that that was very heavy and uncomfortable from a special effects perspective, you know. Um, but it was pretty uh, potent in 1987 you know and at the same time like you said earlier uh pope is that uh they depicted pinhead as a transgender or as a non-binary character um you know and so that is something that while we don't really consider it revolutionary now back then would have been fucking unheard of absolutely you know there's no and way they so, could have gotten away mm. with it back in the 80s so I think yeah. when comparing just those two movies, like we have to look at all of the different impacts and the way movies like Hellraiser led up to a lot of the horror that we have now. And I know I've talked about this before with other movies, but um, Hellraiser was really like people were walking out of theaters. They were throwing up like because it was considered so graphic and stuff like that. Um, and I think that that's a huge thing and that we can appreciate how far because of movies like it we have come to kind of see a full circle in, in pushing the limit and what's acceptable or what's uh what people really want to see versus what they'll go to see to scare the shit out of themselves um i think because i didn't really like the hellraiser franchise like i didn't know enough about it before like seeing the new movie um like it definitely got my interest kind of in going back and seeing the other movies and seeing what got to that point. Uh, I think the one thing that really stands out to me about the new movie um, is it's the only movie where anybody actually draws a Cenobite's blood, like, and actually like yes. attacks yeah. them. And that doesn't happen in any other movie. They send them back to hell. They are able to thwart them in different ways, but at no point in time does anybody else actually, uh, injure a Cenobite ever before and that's Much really kill. Hmm. yeah exactly so that that's huge that's huge in like what it says about the full circle and I think the fact that the movie kept a lot to the lore of the previous movies um, and really tried to stay loyal to everything that had happened previously was really cool um, and the special effects just blow it away which was the one thing I appreciated watching all of the movies today was the the progression of the special effects game throughout all of the movies. Um, and like, I'm a big fan of nineties cinematography. And so like getting to the 97 to 2000, like movies was really cool. Kind of at 2005, I didn't really like the, the, it just wasn't the same. They relied a lot more on special effects than they needed to. Like we still had a lot of practical effects up until like 2000 or so. Um, but this movie brought it all home. Like when we have the guy at the end, spoiler alert, where he's actually got the machinations as part of his biology, like that shit was super cool. Like, and it was grueling. Like you could sit there and watch him as his little clockwork shit ticked and like feel that with him. It was like, ugh. And the new movie, something that like really uh, like I found very interesting was actually when the Chatterer died. Mm. Um, and it, because the Chatterer, as soon as they got stabbed, the audience, if you're familiar with the franchise, doesn't know whether a Cenobite can even die. Yeah. Right. But the Chatterer is like, all right, you got me. <laughs> Steps back <laughs> and just waits for pen, a Pinhead's chains. Like, yeah. And, and also, you notice another thing, too, that I thought was actually a really cool touch. And it, they might have just done it for time. I'm not sure. But the thing is, is that uh, every time the Cenobites take somebody, they do not kill them immediately. They mm -hmm. torture them. That is the point, the entire point. 
So the chatterer was the only one who died instantaneously. Mm. Like, mm. The chatterer was given a quick death. Uh, at, at least in the new one. I mean, I can't speak for movies 4 through well, 20 or whatever, but... 4 through 20, no doubt, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think. There, well, there was, like, some that were convoluted, like, because when they bring Christy back later, like, she and her boyfriend are in a car accident, and her boyfriend's, like, a cop, and everybody's trying to figure out if he killed her or what it was, and, like, he has amnesia and doesn't remember that he made this deal with the Cenobites and with all these other people, and the Cenobites the the pinhead was basically pretending to be like his lieutenant or whatever like and he didn't know if he was hallucinating or in hell or like anything and like kirsty ended up actually sacrificing him like instead but like i missed the part where i don't know how kirsty came back like because again i was doing mom stuff um so but like it was that was probably my least favorite of all of the movies to be honest because it was like they were really reaching sort of at that point honestly um and you know you've got just that whole corrupt cop trope and like they didn't really need to add that to the franchise to make it any better like we all know that there's going to be a dead hooker in the bathroom and there was like there was not any of the suspense and sort of uh, the want to watch and see what the Cenobites are going to do next or watch to see what new horrors you're going to see coming. Like it was kind of lame. Um, so, but I think that there was a death where like dude was all, it was either in the fourth or fifth movie and Pinhead was all like, this one was not satisfying. Cause like he all had to defend himself somehow or whatever and kind of killed him instantly. I think one thing that actually annoyed me was uh, in the third movie. Um, first of all, the third movie gives a lot of lore that the other ones didn't. And so it was really great for that purpose. Hmm. You actually see, uh, you know, Pinhead before he becomes Pinhead and all that stuff. He looks uh, so good great. in that suit. I'm not going to lie. In his military greens, he's kind of hot. In his, his greens, yeah. He's rocking it down in the trenches, hanging out. Um, definitely, definitely not dry in that situation. Um, <laughs> I would have spent uh, some time in a foxhole with Pinhead. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that, uh, it annoyed me at the end. And the reason is because, um, something the new movie captured really well is that like to become a Cenobite in the first place, there's some qualifications. Like you, you like actually have to work at becoming a Cenobite at the end and Hellraiser three. He just basically made everybody in the fucking party like the, uh, that was do you recognize their face? The bartender, the DJ, they were all Cenobites at the end. And it's just like, no, man, Cenobites <laughs> are like an elite force. They're like the SWAT team of hell. The fuck is this <laughs> CD guy fucking throwing CDs, like fucking killing people with CDs? The fuck is this? Clyde Barker, if he was dead, he'd be rolling around in his grave. As it is, he's rolling around in his millions. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just saying, like, the fuck. And so, like, that's the thing, too, though, although to be fair, is like, um, what we had was we had this whole rash in the late 70s, early 80s, and all that stuff of like these super serious slasher films. You got Jason Voorhees, who's got mommy issues, and you got motherfucking Freddy Krueger, who is a child murderer, but as we talked about on Macabre Masters before actually was supposed to be a little bit more sinister than a child murderer. And that wasn't introduced until later because of cultural taboos. 
uh, that still exist, but I guess we're just a little bit more open to, to at least hearing about people getting killed to do that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, it was all super serious. And then like, even the first like nightmare on Elm street is relatively serious. But then what happened is they got, uh, they got hokey and the same thing happened to Hellraiser. It got hokey and it got campy. And I'm not going to sit here and say that those campy horror movies are not good. Jason goes to hell is the shit. I fucking love it. Uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare, where Wes Craven is literally nightmare. having nightmares about Freddy Krueger, is the shit. Okay, Jason like, versus Freddy. Like... Freddy versus Jason. Hell yeah. Typo negative on the soundtrack. We were electrocute. Well, man, da, all da, the movie da, soundtracks da, in that generation da, da, da. or in that era were so good, though. They were. They, they had slapping soundtracks. Our two um, years were just filled with good soundtracks. I know. Queen of the Damned. Fucking dude. Queen of the Damned was my shit when I was younger. The movie I, is damn near unwatchable these days, but the soundtrack. That's slapped. fair. So you know what else um, I think I like? I was thinking about comparisons from the old movies to the new movie. And I love what they did with the aesthetic of the Cenobites in the new movie. Like we go from the black latex or the black uh, vinyl, you know, or the leather jackets and stuff like that. And they actually move to their flesh being their suits essentially in the new movie. And I thought Mm -hmm. that that was excellent. Right. It was, it was, it was, it was really cool. And then at the end, I mean, guys, you should know that there's spoilers in this bitch. Uh, at the end, they actually show a new Cenobite being made. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what happens is they basically rearrange his skin to create, you know, what is a new Cenobite. And um, that, you know, I did not grasp that when watching the movie, though. I didn't no. actually didn't figure that out until you just said it. Hmm. Like, it was like, very it, visually appealing. Like, it really was cohesive as far as the the special effects. And like I said, you see this whole transition of how the effects got better and progressed and stuff like that like how it looks when they skin people you know and stuff like that through the movies it just gets better and better but that really blew me away just visually it was pretty like they made the Cenobites attractive and deadly and scary at the same time and they didn't really focus on that so much as make it innuendo because of all the leather and shit everywhere you know what I mean right it's it, and thinking about it now, it's like it's a, one of the reasons it's really striking. Also, is the colors. So Absolutely. most of the Cenobites are pale colored, but you have the pale color, and then you have the red showing through from their muscles and their flesh. But there was also a dark colored Cenobite. Uh, I don't know what the theming around it was, but it was it was very dark colored, mm-hmm. almost like a slate gray. And then you still have like kind of this red showing through. And yeah, it does. It does look very, very, very cool. Um, it's definitely an evolution of the original kind of hell, you know, pinhead dressed like goddamn Neo, which right. is not a, <laughs> which is not a coincidence. The Matrix movies were also heavily inspired by the the bondage scene mm-hmm. and by mm-hmm. all that stuff. There's no coincidence there whatsoever. Um, so, uh, I wonder if maybe Hellraiser inspired the Matrix is costumes a little bit it's so i actually possible. was gonna just say bring that up because when jason and i saw the new movie the first time we had talked about something like that and he had mentioned something uh we were looking something up and in an article it came up that there was actually some inspiration from hellraiser into the matrix it would not even slightly shock me i mean they the the ideologies behind the movies kind of run in the same circles 
even though obviously the matrix is a hero's journey mm. um but um i mean the hellraiser could be interpreted as one too with kirsty cotton mm-hmm. honestly final um, girl status for sure oh yeah but even with her um even with her rejecting because uh, I don't know, Pinhead just always kind of had a fascination with her, and so it's what leads to all this other stuff happening in the canon. Um, I think everybody should read the comics, though, just so you can see Kirsten become Pinhead, because mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen anything really surrounding the new movie. It doesn't really seem to have made much of a splash, but I would think that there would be a little bit of people who'd be annoyed about having a, you know, a Pinhead that's not male. Um... And there were a lot. The- so I, I read a lot about that, actually. Um, Jason and I both, because he reads like articles for all the new movies coming out. That's his big thing. And then he tells right. me about them while I'm supposed to be trying to do my homework, you know? <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know as, how it as goes. One does. Yeah. As one does. <laughs> um, and yeah. so um, he was talking about it because he was explaining to me that Head was written as a woman originally. Um, that that was how Clive, Bar- Clive Barker ha- had portrayed it. And so um, they did it basically just because having a villain that horrible was really hard for them to accept in the 1980s for that it would be a woman. Um, that was part of it. Uh, and cinemagraphically, like it just looked better having a male pinhead, essentially, um, was one of the other things. So, uh, But he was talking about how many people were boycotting it like they would boycott game of thrones right because they didn't feel like they should change the storyline and mm-hmm. how dare they push the shit down our throat rhetoric type shit you know and reading a fucking book yeah exactly <laughs> and that's the, the hellbound heart specifically book like um but that that happens a lot you know where things get gender bent in, in media because it's more socially acceptable at the time and then when they change it back to what it's supposed to be or what the original author's um, intent was people are like well you know so and so must not have thought that this would be acceptable and I bet if we asked the writer blah 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 they'd be so mad and meanwhile you know they're like fuck you so well one thing about Penhead the special is I don't think any of the Cenobites in the literature uh, are ever given an explicit gender. In fact, it says in the book specifically that they're so fucking mutilated that you couldn't tell their gender anyway that they had been before because all Cenobites were once human. So uh, you couldn't even tell their gender. And so Pinhead, I remember the description was um, masculine looking, but with a high pitched feminine voice is how I remember it being described. And and like and like I'm saying, like in the comic, Kersey Cotton becomes Pinhead. So a female Pinhead is canonically not even close to unheard of. Mm-hmm. And um, Kersey was also a badass Pinhead. She was like, she was like, I'm not down with what you guys are doing down here, and uh, it's not fucking cool. Pinhead tries to take over the world. It's like this whole thing. It's like the whole song 99 Red Balloons with Pinhead in it. Um, <laughs> the chick it, who played Christy aged really well. Like, you know, we get to see her later on in the movies with her boyfriend when they die in the car accident. And the chick who played her, like, actually still looked great. I was really impressed. She's a, she's a, she's a, she's a babe <laughs> back, in the, back in the first movie. Uh, she made a quick appearance in the third, and she was in the second movie, of course, and then in the third movie, she made a quick appearance. So that's as far as I know. Nick, you were. I think say it was the buddy? sixth movie. I think 
I think the problem with um, when movies gender swap or gender bend is when they go too heavy handed with it um, where to the point where it's no longer enjoyable for the target demographic. Like, like think of the MCU scene whenever they have the girl power moment where all of the female heroes or do that little girl walk they all do. And it's like, we're the girls of the MCU. And it's like, that's not how we wanted to portray you. Same thing with Ghostbusters. The thing with Ghostbusters was that they were all female and that was, oh, I'm the funny girl and I'm a girl, girl, girl. To where the point where it's like, I'm a woman and I don't act like that. Like, um, or, um, and those are just the two examples that I've got. I think, and I think that's what Hellraiser did really well, actually, was that they didn't play into that Pinhead was suddenly a woman and that it's like, oh, she's a priestess and that she's a woman now and that male Pinhead was in the past and it's the time of woman. Now. Like, they didn't go into stuff like that where it was like, it's just, she's just a woman now. It's, there you go. Just have it. You can either watch it or you don't have to. It's pretty simple. But that's kind of the point, though. There's two mm -hmm. points here. The first one is if they would have accepted the previous movies as canon, which they did not acknowledge in the new movie, but if they would have acknowledged them as canon, having a female uh, hell priestess would make sense. Mm -hmm. Just because the status of Pinhead is based on a whole bunch of factors and gender isn't one of them. Um, and so that's not unprecedented at all. The second thing is the way they played it was ingenious. And the reason yeah. I say that is because of her voice. Yeah. Her voice. I really, here's what I think they, that, and I'm not sure on this. Maybe Jason can confirm this because he did research and stuff. I don't know. I just watched <laughs> the movies. Um, here's the thing. I think that they recorded her voice for each of the parts twice. Mm. And they, they lower pitched one and higher pitched one and had them going simultaneously. Because it sounded feminine and masculine at the exact same time. And although, like, um, the, the, I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but the person who played Pinhead uh, is, uh, is transgender, um, that still doesn't give somebody the ability to have two voices at once. Yeah. So it's, I truly believe that that's how they accomplished it. And they really wanted to walk that line as incredibly close as possible. And um, I love it. It's wonderful. It's true to the spirit of the original. Mm. Um, uh, the only, I guess, complaint I have is that the actress they chose is kind of a babe. And so you're kind of like. <laughs> Agreed, and, and, dude. Oh, yeah. And Can't if you think for like... a second, if you think for a second that Pope is above acknowledging sexy transgender people, you are fucking way wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you are way the fuck wrong. Scarlet, who plays fucking StarCraft, all right? Scarlet is a babe, transgender, all right? <laughs> hit me up, Scarlet. What's up? Wait, I'm married. Okay. Sorry, Scarlet. <laughs> don't hit me up. <laughs> Sorry, that's my bad. Um, but so I that's the only downfall of it is they pick somebody who's really pretty. And um, when you see them and without the pinhead stuff on, gorgeous. Mm. And um, that was the only thing that kind of broke it for me a little bit. Because uh, Pinhead really d doesn't need to be pretty. But I do understand they also have commercial concerns and they yeah. have audience concerns and stuff like that. They're not sitting there crying over whether Clive Barker is like, you know, fully into this, you know, kind of like Stephen King. Stephen King hates it. They're like, we're still going to give you a few million for it. Shut the fuck up. Um, so I, I do think that. But 
Long story short, uh, female pinhead makes perfect sense uh, within the context, so, the greater context. I think they did a great job. I think my big thing is, um, so two points. My first is that we see it happening a lot in media nowadays. And I think there's a difference between, like Nick was saying, where we are emphasizing things to the point where we're actually ruining the content and and us actually being able to see the artist or the original author's original vision that maybe wasn't acceptable before. Um, and I look at the Sandman. So the Sandman TV show, you know, it had a lot of that same issue where everybody was mad that death was black and everybody was mad that Lucian was black and everybody was mad that, um, that Lucian was made female. There was a bunch of different things like that. Um, but it still maintains. All right, so we appear to have lost Bess. The <laughs> original content and okay, which, what Neil Gaiman really wanted, and since he got to produce, uh, it, he so we're going to give Beth a it. few seconds to pop back in, and I will cut this out in post. <laughs> or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just leave it because it's going to be on video, and I don't like doing those. You know those YouTube jump cuts that people do where it's like, oh, yeah. hi, I'm Poe. Also, I'm really cool. Also, I do this. Also, I'm here. <laughs> I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah. Talk like a natural human. <laughs> do Let's some see. small edits. Be careful. Be careful. Be... Yeah. Hi, there you are. <laughs> What's up? Penhead Internet sucks. Starlink can bite me. So I was just Starling. saying in general, like Neil Gaiman, he was alive and he was able to make those changes for himself from the original content um, and do so in a way that didn't harm the story at all. But I understand what you're saying. Um, otherwise, you know, um, and I think the other point I really wanted to make was that, like, I think that the writers and directors were able to take this allegory kind of of what Clive Barker, because like we talked about earlier, his inspiration for Hell's Razor in part was from uh, his more sordid past. Right. And as somebody who has a sordid past themselves, like I can see how when you take the idea of what sex work and drugs and partying in that party lifestyle in the 80s was like and what that can do to a person afterwards how that can turn a person into a cenobite so to speak what that does to um blind you between pleasure and pain like there's a lot of psychology that you can really see in the overall arc of all the movies um and so for me making the cenobites attractive um, more so than they did before in the new movie really made sense because that is true you know take your pole dancers and your sex workers and your cam girls and all of it and what that does to you as a person and how it blinds you to what's healthy and not healthy what's painful and what's pleasant all of those things um that line becomes really blurry you know and that's kind of the the overall theme of the Cenobites is that that line doesn't exist they are one and the same so I think there's a lot of allegory to the whole Hellraiser arch in general that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Actually, never thought of it that way. Um, I don't know. It's really weird because there's a lot of there's a lot of argument over that stuff, like over whether not with Hellraiser, just in general, like whether like uh, the internet has allowed a lot of us to live in these kind of fantasy lands, and whether that's healthy, and whether it's numbing us to real life and that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people that say like 
don't watch porn because it like numbs you to like real regular people that you'll encounter in real life. Um, and uh, there's definitely cases of people doing that, like just like completely tuning out of real I mean, life. You can so even take it out of a sexual content. Like look at kids nowadays and how they're able to socialize post COVID. Like it was already right. bad before COVID where kids were socializing almost exclusively through Minecraft and otherwise they were just awkward with their friends in person and it's only gotten so much worse as a parent like observing how uh, children interact with each other and and stuff like that um it's almost like after COVID they fell into the awkwardness and it's just that much more raw I guess where where you see kids making a lot more social mistakes because they haven't been groomed for lack of a better word and how to act appropriately you know right. we don't have like etiquette school anymore mm. you know and obviously that's way old-fashioned and not exactly what we're talking about but there's a lot of awkwardness that just the digital age has given people when it comes to actual in-person contact with other people there's actually really interesting statistics on this um mm that I found really interesting when I read it. And that's that uh, when I was in high school, I had a uh, long distance relationship and um, she moved to Italy and we were together for about maybe six months after she moved to Italy. And um, it was really rough and it was basically a joke and it was considered a joke. And like people are like, that's fucking stupid. The funny thing is, is that now these days, uh, long distance relationships over online are, is, is becoming slowly the norm. Um, absolutely. And there's a lot of statistical evidence for it that like, it's becoming like people's entire relationships are happening online. I was on the call with an Amazon person not too long ago, and they were telling me, um, that they dated their wife online for seriously, like three or four years. And then they, they met up in person in like Seattle, got married and shacked up together, but it took years. They were online for years. And for my generation, that was like kind of, it wasn't unheard of, but it was definitely, but then again, we didn't have a lot of the tools people have today. Mm. FaceTime wasn't a oh, thing yeah. when I was a teenager. I was talking, so I we was talking kids, to though, old girl they, on Yahoo was, Messenger. <laughs> well, so that's what I was going to say is like, I had my teen years, 13 through like 15 on AOL Instant Messenger, talking to like dudes from across the country and shit like that. ASL, you know, like. ASL, straight that up. That was. <laughs> That was a whole that was a whole era in our life that kids today have no idea what the fuck that even means, you know. So um, I was I'm thinking back. It's about no matter 10 years where you ago. say no. it, you know that you'll be heard. <laughs> Indeed, it's like one eight hundred collect. That's how old the school that is. Um, it's like eight <laughs> years ago. I knew a girl. She was seventeen. She had already been in a relationship with this dude for like two years and when she turned and i mean she was a really good girl like she was raised jehovah's witness and when i met her i was living in this house that um one of the like mentors in uh, narcotics anonymous in denver like he rented out these houses as duplexes to people who were in recovery and i just happened to land one because i was a single mom with kids um so when I was living with her, like she was no no longer living with her Jehovah's Witness mom, but her crackhead rehabbed father and his girlfriend, um, and she like was just out of her element completely, and that was the only way she was allowed to date. 
like because that's how she had been raised like you couldn't even still be in a room alone with a boy you know um but she moved across the country at 18 to go be with him like and moved from denver to pennsylvania like the day after she turned 18 she was like i'm done and that relationship ended up lasting like seven months you know because like how you get to know a person online is not how you get to know them like in real life i don't care how much you facetime yeah. Like, it's not the same as, like, listening to a person chew with their mouth open or, right. like, you find out that this person leaves the toilet seat up and pees all over the floor <laughs> or that she leaves her underwear on the living room, like, lamppost. You know, there's all kinds of shit that's just quirky about relationships that you can't get from online. And I think there's a sense of... We call it boundaries, and to some degree, it's this unwillingness to be made uncomfortable by other people now that younger generations have, um, where they're not willing to sacrifice their routine and their comfortability to cohabitate with other people. And so, like, there's a big trend where kids are just not even living together. Like, they're in long-term relationships for years, and they, they don't even have any plans to actually move in together and that goes along with the whole polyamorous trend that's really big in the last five years or so as well you know so i think that there's a lot to do with it um just kind of with again the progression of the digital age i wish we would have seen more of that honestly like in the hellraiser franchise i was really surprised that it didn't come up in the new movie mm. um the movie where I was talking about earlier that took place in outer space, it was supposed to take place in like 2127 or something like that. So like we're talking, you know, still a really long time away from now. Um, and that's, I think really interesting because it took that long from 1987 for somebody to like, they're these chain mail, like gloves that control, this robot that totally looks like Terminator, like without the skin, right? And he's in this spaceship and he has sent the whole rest of the crew on and this like space police show up, you know, and this is, you know, girl explaining movie badly, but like synapses, but these space police show up right as he has released the Cenobites from the box or, you know, done the lament configuration and then the robot bullet explodes. And then this chick walks up with her like firearm and like taps him on the shoulder, you know, and then it goes through the Cenobites luring the different soldiers that have come to arrest him into these rooms and they totally use like leprechaun tactic please help me i'm a little kid and i'm trapped in this room i'm not even kidding okay so and these like military dudes like blast with their laser guns the lock on the door which is this like really huge giant bar mechanism that's got like bars that are like three inches thick that all shift to unlock the door and they just blast it and the steel melts and then he just like pulls the door open and walks into an empty room there's no children there and all of a sudden you know the hooks come flying out and they just rip the dude apart and i'm like okay so it was good visuals but it was so so bad the only good thing about it was the fact that somebody finally figured out that if the Cenobites are stuck on a spaceship, that's probably not a bad idea. You know, I could see how that could be helpful if they're just floating around in space. Do Cenobites know how to fly a spaceship? I don't know. Um, we never got to find out. But that being said, um, it, the only good thing about it was that the guy 
it who had gotten to this point where he had developed all of this before the police show up he's sitting there trying to give them all of this lore um that's prior to when pinhead becomes pinhead like how it gets up all the way to that point and so we get the construction of the lament configuration um and you get some of the best uh special effects that i think i saw in the whole movie for that era and the whole franchise for that era like we see this woman get skinned and i mean they skinned her so well like and then they wash her skin and like rinse wring it out like a rag and like stretch it out and like the fingernails are still attached and there's like candlelight through it it's all translucent and it was just visually beautiful like and gross all at the same time it was so good um, and because of that, like, I think because of the visual effects, besides the campiness, that was probably one of my favorite movies of all of them. They, um, it's one thing that actually in the movies is really interesting, uh, is the changing, um, so kind of in the beginning, the Cenobites kind of had a code, right? Because, uh, okay, so this is one thing actually about the new movie that bothered me. I was telling Tatiana about it. She watched it with me tonight. Mm-hmm. And it said, um they're solving uh lamarchand's box is something that takes months it's very difficult to do and i guess they felt like they couldn't really represent that in a movie so like so like a woman grabs the box in the new movie and fucking one turn happens and then suddenly she's a sacrifice um but they had a code and the code was essentially that if somebody was using the box that they were um is intentional because there's no way you can do it accidentally. And so they would claim that person. And then also in the second movie, a uh, girl who was, uh, I guess she was maybe mentally handicapped or something along those lines. She solved the box because she was just, uh, you know, she was playing Rubik's with it. cubing it. She was Rubik's cubing it. And they walked away. Like they were like, yeah, we're not taking, we're not taking this person. They did not mm. mean to do that. So it's interesting because later, um, the Cinnabites gets absolutely vicious. One person yeah. opens a box in a room and everybody in that room is dead. Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, what? Like, what? Why? You don't like, I think what it was, was they were trying to tell bigger stories, bigger mm. stories with more people. But as Nick pointed out so succinctly earlier, um, the, where the Hellraiser franchise shines is when it's a very, very focused you know, situation. You know what I mean? And uh, I think they suffered for it, honestly. I think they suffered... Um, the the quality of the storytelling suffered as a result of this idea of making it bigger because um, they became less mysterious over time. Like, it was like, okay. Yeah. They went from being these demons that, like, uh, they took people who wanted to go to um with the exception of Kirsty, but there was a little bit of uh, finagling with that situation but uh they took people who wanted to go they went from that to just because the people that are seeking the cinnabites are seeking experiences beyond what humanity can offer mm-hmm. so if it's somebody who just randomly solves the box by accident then they're not seeking anything you know what i mean they're just fucking around with a cool looking <laughs> box you know what I mean? And and so I do think that I and really in the new movie it was such a faux pas. Like people were just like just picking up the box and solving it in three seconds. It's like, you know, girls high on pills and she's like just like fucking like, oh, you know, to this very complicated fucking box, you know what? 
the the Mel Hooker in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like he's like, oh, fucking cool, like this box or whatever, and it's solved in two seconds. And then he gets to be his sacrifice. He didn't want to go. He didn't know what was going on. And I really wish they would have stuck to the like Cenobites showing some discernment for who they took because like. Um, I think in the second movie where they see that that girl who did it and they walk away from her and they they stop it. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened. I feel like, I, but that that's classy in my opinion. If you're in that position and you're like, okay, this isn't innocent. I think that's what they said. Like she's an innocent. We're not going to take her. But hmm. um, it was later revealed in the comics, by the way, that that and I think it was to account for the changes made. Um, it was later said that actually that was a violation of their job and they actually got in trouble for it. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. Big daddy Satan was like, yeah, no, I'm not cool with this. <laughs> big daddy Leviathan, the big diamond in the sky shining bright, like a diamond. <laughs> he wasn't into it. Rihanna wasn't into it either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Unapologetically, unironically, dude. <laughs> you and I were beautiful like diamonds in the fucking sky. <laughs> I think that was a problem I had with the new one is they just they curse too much too. I don't know what it is. Something about yeah, it. They were See, druggy, junky fucking yeah. <laughs> Okay. Like Yeah, yeah. What do you expect? Like you I expect them to so. talk I mean, like Talk like Quakers or something? <laughs> no, there was a little bit of tact with the first one. I mean, he said bitch and stuff, but... It was in the I, 80s! It, I know, but it wasn't like, fuck this, fuck that. What the fuck is going on? Fuck, 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 fuck. I was like, alright, alright. At some point, did someone 25 or under write this movie? Because it's a little bit much for me. Fred Durst read it. <laughs> it's a fucked up world, fucked up I'm, place. Everybody's judged by their fucked up face. I'm, I'm not. I'm obviously fine with cursing. It's just put a limit on it. You know, make it make sense. I, I, I don't like when you're just yelling it all the time for no reason. And I mean, I guess it. She is around eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I can't really tell her age because. It's the kinda, way she was dressed heavy. looks like yeah. anyone from 16 to 25 right now. The fashion has kind of grouped a big population. She was damn near wearing jean co jeans, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now Rock I need on. that. I want that. Can I get Hellraiser in Jinko? <laughs> as long as Penhead's wearing Jinko. Um, I'm saying, get some dude. trip pants. Jinko. We can show so you the such chatter would be in the trip pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dude, it'd the be chains funnier would come it, out of the pockets. Yeah, right. They'd be wallet chains. Oh <laughs> um, so the thing is, though, is <laughs> I would agree with you if, like, when at the uh, near the end of the new one, if Pinhead got locked up because they this dude found a way basically to cage the Cenobites, and if Pinhead got locked up and instead of standing there completely chill, you know, it was just like, you done fucked up, right? <laughs> See, that would have been funny. Uh, that would have been funny. I, I I would I would agree there, okay, but like the characters. So in my head, a- Pinhead's got like one of those baby pacif or you know stoner balls, and the Chatterer's got like those '90s plastic baby pacifiers. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that was really upsetting me. Uh, well, the the woman, the Asian looking woman with like the fucking big old Egyptian like arch overhead, yeah. she's got one of those ball necklaces. You remember those, the metal ball? Yeah, stoner necklaces? balls. Yeah, right. I had I had those too. I 
when the stoner, I still had him. I had him tight too. It was a fucking choker. It was awesome. Um, so she's got those. Oh, uh, fucking old dude with only his face. He's got the backwards red baseball New York Yankees cap and the goatee. Yeah, new metal Hellraiser. I'm into this. Jonathan Davis. I need the you to comic book this for oh me, please. <laughs> Bring on. Back the fuck up. Um. Then Amy Lee. Amy Lee is a cameo. She does. She absolutely does. Amy Lee's hanging out. She's there. Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Alanis Morissette should be in every movie ever because she's Alanis Morissette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Alanis Morissette's on my hall pass list. Call me. Hit me up, girl. What's up? Hit me up, boo. After you leave us a five star review on Apple. Yeah. <laughs> You after want to know how important that is. After you donate enough <laughs> money on Patreon so we can get Elizabeth some uh, some good internet. <laughs> I can't even get any. This is the best internet I can get out here. That's the sad oh, part. Oh, gosh. It was going good until Elon Musk took over Twitter, and now the, now the internet's not working anymore. <laughs> well, so the problem is, is that I have currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people on my property using the internet, which means that we're using Ugh. like two to three terabytes a month between like video oh, streaming sheesh. and fucking gaming and video calls and like everything. And so Starlink was like, we're going to throttle you. And so it's not like when they used to throttle me and I was getting like 0.2 megabytes per second, literally, but now I'm getting like 10 megabits per second. And so it's like, yeah, it, it's not ideal a lot of the time. Oh, speaking of internet, there wasn't a whole lot of internet use in the new movie. You'd think it coming out in 2022, like, she kind of looked him up on her MacBook Pro 12Q, but <laughs> other than that, I didn't really see her, like... Everybody was rocking MacBook Pros in that movie. I noticed that. They were, like, think, 2015 like, MacBook Pros. I yeah, was like, you'd, what? <laughs> you'd think people would have their, their iPhones up, uh, taking pictures of, like, they said it was close by, so they're by a city. You think there'd be a lot of videos circulating around, and that would have been like the end credit scene. Is like it gets out to everyone. They're like, "Whoa, what is this?" And then Viral they find video. the box somehow. And then, Set it by YouTube. It'd be like uh, then people are like seeking out the box in the next movie. But from what I, I would read, love it, it would be it would be great. Yeah. There's uh, some TikToker reacting to the chatterer getting <laughs> fucking drawn and quartered. He's like, he's like, guys, I haven't seen this yet. I promise, <laughs> I haven't seen this yet. Okay, watch. Oh, and then that's actually the screenshot on the front of his face. I yeah. Just, um, the uh, no, like with dinosaurs think, in the background. It's got dinosaurs. It has to. There's no questions asked there. Um, it, but because everything has to have dinosaurs. Um, with that said, I think that it would have actually like so the internet and the rise of it and us having it in our pockets all the time. Actually, I think it's a detriment to horror because you can Google Agreed. anything. It's like it's like demon kink masters chasing me and then reddit's like reddit's got a whole thread it's like yeah, am yeah, i the yeah. asshole you fucked with the marshall's box did you don't do that listen there's six configurations so make sure you understand which configuration you're going to choose after you do your six sacrifices okay? oh my gosh and the other guy's like guys the other guy's like zero out of ten would not it's it's the it's it's a rolling <laughs> voice. He's on Reddit. He's like, down vote, down vote. 
Zero someone's out of ten the, would not open the box again. So someone's got their list up, and then the police come and swat because it's like <laughs> you can't have your list up. <laughs> the um, he's like he's like guys, don't do it. They fucking put a big ass thing that kills my nerve endings in the thing. Uh, and <laughs> you know, one of the things I really didn't like. I think it was in the third movie, um, where they had all the Cenobites in this like monument tower thing. Like I thought that was really lame. Oh, you're I think talking it was about the, the third movie. It was. You're right. The 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 art piece, the sculpture. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really like that. And then like they had the dude, the douchebag boyfriend, like with the little girl that goes to live with fucking what's her face. And I was like, you know, that was it was kind of lame. Like I didn't really like the third movie except for because homeboy was all in his khakis in the military. And he was all yeah. hot, and that was the only time I paid but, attention to the whole third movie. Besides that, besides the parts with him, with where it gave context on Doug Bradley before he became Pinhead, it, that movie was fucking worthless. The third one, and I'm a huge fan. I love the series, and even I was about halfway through it, and I was like, oh my god, this is fucking <sighs> garbage. Like, dude, like, how did they fuck? It's a simple concept. Somebody opens a box, demons show up, <laughs> violence happens, they show them such things, usually off screen. And we get the implication, right? And it just like became this. I, I'm telling you, I will never forgive them. Never. There's two people I will never forgive in my life. Yeah, two, probably. So the first one is the guy who stole my Gibson SG. Okay. That was a douche move. <laughs> and the second person. Fuck that. Oh, guy. Three people. Three people. Okay. But the guy who stole my fucking Gibson SG, the guy who created the CD slinging Cenobite. Oh, my gosh. Third, and he had servo murder motors going off. You heard it. It was like, burk, burk. like fucking. <laughs> and then the third guy is, of course, King James. I was about so, to say. I knew it. I was about to say King James. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'm, it. That's great. I'm, of course, it's King James. Who else would it be? Hitler? No, King James was. I'm not going to say that on no, the I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. that part out. Edit that part out. Okay, uh, so I have to no, ask you guys, joke, guys. Like we do in every, you know, movie that involves lots and lots and lots of death, which was your favorite death that you saw? I thought you were gonna ask if there's rule thirty four and this those movies oh, are, are of rule thirty four. The whole movie's rule thirty four. I think they're rule thirty four for some people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I, I it has to be in the newest movie because I only saw one and the newest release. Because the first one had deaths, but I mean, the it was kind of quick in the first one, you know. Uh, the main guy got separated, and they kind of put his face back together, and I was like, "Oh, that was number one." Then what's her name kills a bunch of dudes with a hammer, and then she just gets stabbed, and then he gets blown up and shredded again. I was like, eh. "Not really a whole lot of like," as James A. Janis would say, "the golden chainsaw" or whatever. I don't know. I didn't like any of them in that one, really. They, they were cool for the time, but like, I was more interested in the, the effects that they had for bringing the uncle back. Um, maybe in the second, or the, the newest one, I'd probably have to say... I kind of like... Um, I don't know. I kind of like when Trevor gets it, honestly. It's it's like satisfying at that point. And, and it's like slow and creepy enough where his skin starts... Like, grab his arm he's, he's then, getting flayed on screen yeah, yeah yeah i mean agree that one's the most satisfying but the best one is probably uh nora 
the girl who gets taken in the van. Like she's in the van, then ah, her whole back gets ripped off. I was like, that one. You was stole my sick. thunder, dude. That yeah. one was so sick. <laughs> <It> was so- <laughs> we were watching it earlier, and I was like, Tatiana, this part, this part's worth watching the whole movie for with the van and shit. It's still moving, but the hallway and shit. I was like, dude, that. So that's it mine. Was so good. And then that was they a good fucking. One. Pinhead took the fucking pen out of out of their head and was like fucking through the neck and I was that was the only one that made me cringe. The entire yeah, I forgot movie. like the yeah that girl so, did not deserve what she got. No, I don't think that was like the hardest thing about the newest one is no one really deserved it. Like in the first one, the uncle deserved it obviously, and then uh, the stepmom deserved it, but like. They kind of deserved it, and then these cheating men are—I don't know if I don't see. The thing is, I don't know if they're married, and they know that she's married. Um, but either way, she was keeping it from her husband, so like she kind of deserved to get something. Um, but in the newest one, I felt like no one really, <laughs> no one really deserved it except for the main bad guy and uh, Trevor, really. I'd like to say that I actually think it's well worth considering whether even somebody practicing infidelity deserves something along those lines. Yeah. Although her infidelity did, of course, her proposed infidelity because she yeah. never actually did Not it. Really? Uh, yeah. And it is dudes true. getting getting murdered. But uh, so there is that. But I would argue that most people, even if they're bad people, Trevor was a bad guy. Trevor yeah. was a total douche. Yeah. Um, although uh, I think that what they were getting at was that he actually kind of at the end when he was like near the end, when he was trying to get her away from the box, yeah, he actually was being honest about it. Like he was actually trying to fix the situation, but it was already too late. I think so. I think maybe he actually did fall in love with her. I mean, he said it accidentally while they were, uh, making love in the very beginning. Maybe he actually did mean it. And like, as the story progressed, he, he did constantly try and get him to, Kind of go get away from it. Yeah, Yeah. maybe that's maybe. Beth, yeah. Favorite death, Beth. So Nora is a really, really good one. Um, I like Nick mentioned the reconstruction of Frank's body in the first movie was epic, though we won't count that as a death. But like that, the special is a reverse death. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was, in (laughs) fact, probably one of the most cinemagraphically like iconic parts that made Hellraiser really what Hellraiser was. That scene was revolutionary. It was fucking amazing, especially for that time. Um, I would say out of all of the ones that I watched, my favorite is when Angelique in the fourth movie uh, she is working with the Cenobites um, and the like lore as Le Marchand is building the Lament configuration and all that stuff. Um, so there's this part with the old dude and she's all sitting there eating dinner and he's being all creepy watching her eat and she's all got like a bread knife and she's sitting here cutting her cheese and he's like, careful, don't cut yourself, you know, and she's like, Ooh, you're such a gentleman. And then his son all sneaks up behind her and like chokes her out with the Garrett, right? And then they like in her and like I was telling you they just like delicately washed her skin and all of that and then like she came back and like refilled out her body like so it's the same actress you know but like she's supposed to be one of the Cenobites in like human form I think like and that whole progression was really cool and the chick that played it was really really hot so like (laughs) I was super about it like it was great 
Um, so one thing actually I also want to give credit for is the second movie. Um, the second movie I liked a lot, I thought was great. Um, and uh, when Julie comes back, when she comes back and she comes through that mattress and the special effects she used for her body were similar to Frank in the first movie. Mm. And um, it just looked fucking so nasty. And like, she didn't have skin when she came back guys. So like, it was like <laughs> liquids and all this stuff. Mm. Dude, they just, they knocked it out of the fucking park. It was well, utterly they believable. Polished up the stop motion, like cinematography and the videography. Like, so, cause that's how they did it in the first movie. You know, it was like the advance of like the evil dead claymation stuff that we saw. Right. It was kind of like that mm -hmm. with the stop motion. Um, and so we got to see the progress from what that looked like in the first movie to what it looked like later and how like they rebuilt her. It was great great and it's really cool to see like all those practical effects in these movies because they did stick with them for a really long time um and not a lot of other horror franchises can say that they really relied on practical effects in the same way that the hellraiser franchise did the um yeah because all the cinebites in the new one were practical mm -hmm. um and I, they were just ingeniously put together they introduced a few new ones that were really creepy and weird um, nothing like CD guy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I have one last note on Hellraiser and then after that, uh, we're going to do our shout outs unless you guys have something else to add, but here it is. My favorite fact about the entire Hellraiser franchise. And I've told you guys about this. So act surprised when I tell you, um, so, uh, basically here's the deal when they were filming the first movie, um, d the nickname they gave Doug Bradley was pinhead and Clive Barker hated it. He hated it because Pinhead, of course, means stupid. It means dumb, right? So it stuck, and he became Pinhead. And Clive Barker was always annoyed at that. And what he did is awesome. He wrote it into the actual canon. So when you're reading the books or you're watching the movies or you're reading the comics, if somebody calls him Pinhead, in the, actually the second book, The Scarlet Gospels, it's actually explicitly stated that the only people who call him Penhead are people who are seeking very quick deaths mm. because he does not put up with that shit. He hates it. His name technically is the Hell Priest, is what he's called. Uh, and then, of course, his like actual name before he transformed, which I don't remember what it is, but I'd say I just call him Doug Bradley because mm. um, he's synonymous with it. But um yeah so guys if you ever find yourself with a weird golden black box in front of you and you decide to solve it uh please know that when somebody shows up and they've got pins in their head make sure to refer to them as the hell priest with respect and maybe your death will be a little bit more kind elliot um, spencer elliot motherfucking spencer captain elliot spencer yes indeed so all right so uh did you guys okay Nick I'm sorry did you guys have any more notes no the only thing I have left is I saw that um, HBO all of a sudden is making a series on it and it's disconnected from the movies like the newest movie that just came out so like, yeah, how cool is that it it, it it was announced in 2020 and um, but yeah I don't know like all of a sudden like did they project when they started filming the newest Hellraiser that it wasn't going to do very well. And they just like hedged their bets and made a deal with uh, HBO as well. 
Because I don't know, it's really weird to me. That was like the. I mean, it probably has more to do with the fact that Discovery Plus Plus bought HBO Max and yeah. Warner Brothers and all of that stuff. I assume because like with the whole Warner Brothers takeover and James Gunn like being in charge of all of this other stuff now, like there's a whole lot of stuff that was planned for that got scrapped that's now being replanned for again. Yeah. Like they have told Henry Cavill he was going to be Superman again. Like three times you know and so it probably has a lot more to do with just all of the changing over in hands and nobody wants to be in charge of it maybe or maybe disney was like maybe disney was like you get to make one (laughs) we want to see the animated disney version please pixar can you make us a pixar hellraiser Hey, yeah, dude. I would t- I would have Pinhead being a Disney princess. I'm into this. Yeah. Um, I accept this. <laughs> a whole new world of pain. Um, so with that said. Oh, yeah. Starts making cameos like Stitch did back in all the. <laughs> oh, that'd be epic. That'd be so good. I want to see but, um, Pinhead with the little lamp jumping in at the intro. Right, the Pixar lamp. (laughs) It would be a shame. It would be the chains, though. Pinhead would just be standing there like this, and then it would just be boom, boom, boom. That's the chains. Uh, And then, no, the chains would actually come in and, like, grab the corners of the eye and just... Um, But the thing is, is that uh, if they make a series and they don't use the new Pinhead that they did for the new movie, they're making a massive mistake. Um, in fact, all of the Cenobites, the people who portrayed them, did fucking wonderful. Like it yeah. was, it was just so fucking well done, and I appreciate how much effort was put into it. Mm-hmm. I also think it probably didn't do that great as far as um, streams and stuff like that. Yeah, um, being locked to a streaming platform always sucks. So that like sucks movies. because like it deserved to be seen, especially if you like the old ones. Yeah. Um, with that said, guys, uh, I think that. Uh, I think that we've kind of we kind of busted past our time. So before we get out of here, you got any got any awesome shout outs? Um, I got a couple. Uh, the first is shout out to Nick for coming at us with the <laughs> fever and the sniffles and all the badness. We hope that you don't have the the Rona and, and that you'll be OK. Um, two, if you guys haven't played the quarry yet, which is like a choose your demise sort of video game on PlayStation, PC and Xbox, I highly recommend it. If that's your thing it, with the like different endings, there's like 180 something different variations of endings and I've been super addicted to it and it's so good. Um, and then I want to shout out to Creature Cosmetics. I just bought my daughter like her first eyeshadow palette and it's the only like horror themed cosmetic company uh that i doesn't have any talc or any um chemicals that you can't name like it's it's like the the ice cream commercial you know where everything on the back of it you can actually pronounce and shit um and i like really admire uh the woman who started the company uh she is spectacular you'll find her at a lot of cons out of uh georgia and tennessee and florida um different horror cons and stuff Mm -hmm. like that uh, and they're amazing. They're very, very reliable company, and their product quality is excellent. Um, otherwise, you know, shout out to my boys here because they're badasses. And poor Pope has been waiting for this episode for like a literal four or five since months now. October, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I want I want to shout out to Pope's yeah, patience because yeah. this motherfucker has been holding on, waiting, <laughs> and I'm glad we finally I'm got to trying. get to it. I-, I want you guys to have the best. God damn it. Um, uh, so if we can just get divination taken care of, we'll, Pope's wish list will be taken care of. Um, 
Because my wish list is the one that matters. Nobody else's. Fuck y'all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the, uh, cool. So uh, my shout-outs, you know, while you were talking, I should have thought about my shout-outs, and I didn't. <laughs> so, because you were paying attention to me, and that's what makes you a good this, guy. That's correct. I was paying, I was paying attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not exhausted. I'm not tired as fuck. I was paying attention. Um, these, uh... So actually, I do. I do have a shout out. I want to give a shout out to my wife. My wife Tatiana. She's wonderful. She. Word. Uh, we recently have been dealt a few um, really difficult blows in our life. Um, we're planning a move coming up, and it seems like every single obstacle that could be placed in our way has been. And Tatiana has managed to stay up. She's managed to um, keep positive, and she's been helping me stay positive and looking after me and looking after my mental health. And um, I know that's exhausting, especially when you got your own to look after. And um, she's just a fucking gangster. She's the best. And uh, so shout out to her. And um, yeah, so that's that's my shout outs. And of course, to my mm. crew. Also to Zachary Ghostbody Ghostbody, who mm. we recorded an episode of Beetlecast, literally, I swear to God, on December 28th that I just released it today. And he didn't get <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> um, so uh, shout out to Zach. Uh, all right. So, uh, with that said, guys, um, I think that's it. Uh, I didn't everybody get my out there. Out. <laughs> oh shit, oh, no. Nick! I missed your shout out. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm tired. Who's your shout outs, buddy? No, shout out to Pope the... for getting my shout out. <laughs> <laughs> no, shout out to uh, my wife as well. We have the almost exact same move, um, just shorter distance for me. I just got to go over and up. Um, but we have also been dealt some seriously stupid blows as well. Um, mostly financially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Sarah's trying her hardest. This is, this right here was the first big move she's really had, but her parents are still close by. This is going to be her first real move to a city. That's just the two of us. Family will be close by, but no one's going to help us. We're going to be fully on our own. Then um, she'll have been graduated. So like, that's, this is kind of like, this is, it's pretty big. So she's, um, she's holding on as well. Same thing. Um, and I'm trying to help her <laughs> while going through, Hey, your hours got cut at work. So subscribe to the Patreons <laughs> so we can keep the lights on here. <laughs> we seriously got to make a Patreon. We joke about that every single time and it just doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Uh, tell your friends we we need to get everybody to tell at least two people that want to hear us bullshit um to listen you know and then start a patreon yeah yeah yes once and, we get um, 69 followers on youtube <laughs> 69 followers on youtube that's and, and don't forget uh beth's only fan offer 500 on every platform 500 um, get you yeah, yeah there you go there you go exactly so guys uh if you're secretly simping on beth that's what you need to take care of. Go girls do it. Girls too. Girls right. too. Oh yeah, definitely. I who wouldn't simp on Beth to be honest. Just saying. Anyway, <laughs> with that said, um, guys, thank you uh, so much for listening. We hope that you have an amazing, beautiful, awesome, perfect, great, awesome, sexy, kinky day. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we will see you. On the next one, we're trying to get on a more uh, kind of more consistent schedule, so you should be seeing stuff from us more often, uh, hopefully. And other than that, uh, guys, 
See you later. Bye. We love you. Bye. We also like you. Like stay like dry. You. Don't stay dry. <laughs> stay dry. <laughs> Be one with the dryness. Stay. Be one dry. with the dryness, like the Sahara. Be dry. All right. We need some deodorant sponsorship here, please. Ooh, Doctor. I'm telling you. Speed stack. <laughs> I'm saying. Damn, I get Doctor Squatch. That stuff smells delicious. Um. So I have a friend who is a TikTok uh, streamer.